right, guys, here we are with another week of Find Your Film. This is the week covering September 24th, 2021. We have a couple of really good movies to get to you this week. Oh, I, maybe they're good movies. Maybe they're not. I don't know. It depends what Bruce is going to say. I, I, I still have nightmares about his review last week of Prisoners of the Ghostland. Bruce Perky, a.k.a. Tough Perk. Have you changed your mind on that Nicolas Cage film? Is, is it as brilliant as me and Eric stated the fact, or were we wrong? Or is it just whatever? Has it changed? Please. Well, since the suit came in the mail and and I have to watch, it might start beeping at any time. I, I loved it quite a bit. Mm. Everything about it is good. I'm okay. keeping all of my parts intact. Thank you. Okay. Well, we, I, you know, I wanted Bruce to actually submit to me and Eric's love for prisoners of the ghost land. You know what? Eric Holmes, AKA a boy, a boy and his homes. I don't know what that, that kind of innuendo is. Maybe it has something to do with Sonny Crockett down the road, but Eric Holmes, do you like Bruce's Mia culpa, the him being watered down or do you, do you I don't like that. It's made me feel uncomfortable with him actually saying nice things about prisoners of the ghost land. What's, there, what's up? There's no better positive review than a positive review under duress. <laughs> I'm blinking. I'm blinking twice. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe we won't be under duress this week because we have two movies to cover our featured reviews. And we have a whole bunch. We haven't done movie rewinds in a while. So, we're going to be doing some movie rewinds. We have some recommendations. So you know what? My fault the last couple of months, I don't know. We, we actually review maybe four to five movies a week. We are inundated with movies this week. This For this episode, we, we're actually going a little bit more freestyle with the two movies, and then we'll each have a recommendation. The two movies we're going to review this week is a Netflix film, The Guilty, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, and the other one is a documentary called The Most Beautiful Boy in the World. All three of us have seen it. Eric Holmes, are you excited to review both these movies? Yes, I am. It, it'll be good. But uh, I'm most excited about some of our uh, recommendations. And def- uh, one of our box picks is going to be quite fun. I cannot wait for this. One of the box. By the way, the box pick this week, the, the what's in the box, a little recap, Bruce Perky, and oftentimes Eric Holmes, they will watch a movie that is actually suggested to us by one of our our podcast listeners or some some of our filmmakers and some of the filmmakers we interview at the end of every episode bruce perky will take a a little um a random movie like they're they're written in these little uh, white strips uh paper strips and then he'll he'll just get it out from a box and now he'll pick up a movie and last week this which is this week is he picked the brian o'connell pick tough turf i'm just gonna let all the cat out of the freaking bag tough turf which looks like a, it, you know, tough, by the way, you know, this is a cool movie when tough is spelled T-U-F-F. But now, folks, we are back to the edit. I, I just got back, you know, FYI, Eric, Eric Holmes just just pulled a Celebrity Jeopardy with a little sing song, sing along of Tough Enough, Celebrity Jeopardy also. Rest and it goes peace. something like this. Is it? Never mind. <laughs> yeah. and then, oh, by the way, rest in peace, Norm MacDonald, who was great as Burt Reynolds in Celebrity Jeopardy. You guys, any uh, very quick thoughts on Norm MacDonald? Was he one of your favorite comics? Yeah, yeah, he's pretty good. Watching all of his uh, late night interviews, uh, some of his stand up. Uh, we got to watch him up in Denver. Uh, it was like a year, two years ago. It was a yeah. while ago. What? It, it, it was Where? Pretty, it was, what was the venue? Uh, was it a good venue? Tell me about it. I, I, I don't know the names of the venue because I call them all the Chuckle Huts. <laughs> the Chuckle Huts. Okay, very good. Uh, but it, there's, there, I think it's Comedy Works, the South one. There's whatever one it is. There's two of them up in Denver. There's one north and one south, and it was at the south one. 
and it was uh it was pretty good okay he was for you so you were chuckling in the hut quite a bit yeah yeah oh, so there was plenty of chuckles in the hut oh you were you were actually very very i have never i've never interviewed him i've never laughed in his presence bruce you've never seen norm Macdonald in person do you regret not no, seeing him when i haven't oh, oh okay wow i'm sure I maybe you regret it i do yeah yeah yeah, he's funny. I mean, the he had one the... and only Turd Ferguson. I mean, the only, come on, the only one, the one and only Turd Ferguson and Norm Macdonald. I mean, Bruce Porky shares the same kind of dry wit that Norm Macdonald has. As you can tell, he he was pretending to acquiesce regarding our prisoners of the ghost land. In truth, of course, you know how he feels about that movie. Speaking of feelings, when we get to the rewinds, I'm really excited because finally, yes, finally, all three of us, thank you, Eric Holmes, have seen. Sweet girl, we're gonna have Eric Holmes break the tie. Bruce Perky, you know what? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be sarcastic again. Bruce, not the biggest fan of Sweet Girl. It's it's not up there with the Searchers or Citizen Kane or the Third Man, huh? No, it's it's, it's right up there, right, right up to the bottom of their feet, right there, to the, right to the there. bottom of their feet. If you had Rosebud, would you just take Rosebud and would you would you just sled over this uh, a DVD copy of Sweet Girl if you had the chance? Is that how you're affected for that? Hit it with that snow globe. Just <laughs> snow globe in the face, Sweet Girl. Snow there you globe. go. Snow globe in the face. I love Sweet Girl. That is a Netflix movie. We love Netflix. Love Sweet Girl. We can't wait to hear what Eric Holmes have, has to say about Sweet Girl. But first of all, I'm going to shut up because right now, Speaking of Netflix, we are going to review this movie called The Guilty. It's in select theaters September 24th. And you Netflix subscribers who are not going to theaters or you don't have a theater near you that is playing The Guilty, you will have to wait, which is fine, until October 1st for The Guilty to arrive in your various net, on your Netflix streaming feed. Now, first off, this movie is based on, is a remake of the original Bruce Perky when you've heard the news that Jake Gyllenhaal was going to develop a remake of The Guilty, what went through your mind? Did you did you feel that this, this was a fool's gamble to actually remake what I think all of us believe is a close to a classic film? Well, I like a lot of his projects. Um, I was concerned because I think when we first heard about the remake, we heard about all the actors involved. And we started imagining that it was going to be not as focused about around just the call taker and go all over the place and become this big sprawling epic. So that concerned me quite a bit. I had my doubts. And what about you, Eric? Did you have your doubts about a remake of The Guilty or were you were you pretty much invested in a remake no matter what? Because even though how much you I, love the original. I wasn't too sure until I heard Antoine Fuqua and then I'm like, just give it to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually an Antoine Fuqua fan. I, I know this isn't an opinion most people share, but I share. Uh, it. I, I share. I, I, I share I'm just you. saying, like I know people are kind of hot and cold on him. So, but I, I'm a I'm a pretty big Anton Fuqua fan. So when I heard he was involved, that kind of made me go, well, let's see what they do with it. I guess we'll get more into that. We will get into it. Hot and cold, Bruce Berkey. Are hot and cold on the works of Antoine Fuqua? By the way, Fuqua previously worked with the Guilty Star. Jake Gyllenhaal in the 2015 boxing drama Southpaw. What do you think about Fuqua's general work, Bruce Perky? Uh, he just seems to be kind of a work workman-like director from what I can see. I don't see any flair from him, but I don't see anything bad from him either. I think he's just kind of down the middle of the road. We, we, nothing wrong with workman-like. We're, all three of us are workman-like podcasters, Bruce, right? Didn't we, 
Yeah. Common man. Yeah. You're, you're okay. You're okay with that. No, I'm not running to see his films because his name's attached. Put it that way. Okay. <laughs> so. okay. We're, uh, we're a little bit better than down the middle, Greg. I don't know if you listened last <laughs> week when I said that you, this is a podcast you need to watch in a theater. Okay. <laughs> Again, these, these lies that Eric Holmes is throwing out into the fray. I love it. I love it. He's really pumping up. Hold on one second, guys. <laughs> I'm going to one. hold on. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> I'm back. You know what? I thought I, I thought by moving to my room, as you can see the bed over here, I thought moving to my room, the, the thing would be better. The Wi-Fi hopefully is better this time, which it was only several seconds. What was I saying? Eric Holmes. Oh, you were saying something about South Southpaw about Antoine Fuqua. General oh, Bruce, I was saying that we should, uh, if you were listening last week, then we are a podcast that you should watch in a the theater because our podcast is that good. Our podcast is that good. Now let's get to the current day, The Guilty. Now this time out, okay, based on a remake, the original screenplay is from Gustav Moller. He, okay, so that's original screenplay. This time out, Nick Pizzolato from True Detective is the screenwriter behind this. Okay. And again, the aforementioned Antoine Fuqua is a director. So the guilty centers on what is Jake's name in this movie? Jake Gyllenhaal plays Joe Baylor. He is a former, he's a, he, well, he is a police officer, an LAPD officer who is demoted currently to the dispatch desk. Okay. And then everything is, we're not going to say why he's, why he's at the dispatch desk. That's a big part of the mystery behind the guilty, but he is relegated at this moment to answering 911 calls. Once everything seems to be okay, he's a little bit on edge. There's something that's going on re- regarding his job as, as a police officer that is really um, getting him nervous. And then he has his own relationship with his wife as an, his own kid that brings him added stress as much as he loves his, his uh, family. When a kidnapped woman calls into that call center, that dispatch desk, he takes the call and he's immediately invested in her situation. That is essentially the plot of the guilty. He will ultimately do whatever it takes to make sure this kidnapped woman's safe. Because as the story goes on, there's there's a lot of, we, we talked about family. There may be children involved in this situation. There, this might be a very intense life and death situation. And this police officer, again, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, even though he has huge problems, insurmountable problems of his own, his focus in this real-time narrative is to make sure this woman and possibly her children are safe. Now, let's start off with Eric Holmes. Your thoughts on this remake of The Guilty? Did it stand on its own? Was this a worthwhile watch for you? It was definitely a worthwhile watch. I would say um, anyone watching this one would probably do best to watch the original first because this this movie does a couple things slightly different than the original. I think it works better if you have have seen the original and you're expecting certain things and then those things don't quite play out the way that they did in the original and then I don't know what else I'm going to say about that. Uh one thing I did like is the wildfire settings kind of uh seem to add a bit more realistic tone on why they can't just have you know, with the technology we have just to send all police down to the area to, you know, they, they have to, he has to kind of, uh, just like in the original, he kind of has to go through certain avenues to make things happen and having, uh, everyone deal with the wild, dealing with the wildfires kind of makes, I guess, a little more sense as to why he's having a hard time. Some of this, and Bruce could probably speak to this, uh, cause we did talk about last time about Bruce was a, uh, 
911 operator or whatever that job is called. There are some things that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character does. It's like he would get fired for that, right? Like <laughs> that. That's but uh, you know. I, I kind of let that go, but that's that's definitely stood out to me as a thing. For those who did watch the original, there are s- slight changes to the ending, and there are slight similarities to the ending, and I kind of like both of them. And I, it's one of those weird things that I don't think this is better than the original, and I don't think it's worse as far as the endings go. I think they're like they're they're both equally good to me but for like wildly different reasons overall i give this a recommend but also watch the original first because i think you're going to get more out of it if you do that yeah I, re- I really enjoyed this version jake gyllenhaal is really good in his role i'm glad that he went a different way than the actual original actor from the first installment from the first original film just a different two I, it was different enough to make in my opinion this remake warranted anton antoine fuqua has as we all know from Training Day, he has a good feel for Los Angeles. Me, me as a Los Angeles citizen, I under, I was I appreciated how the wildfires played a real background part in this entire narrative. Like you were saying, Eric, it added an, an extra flavor. Even that said, really, a lot of the drama is set in this one location. A lot of it is just Jake and the phone call and the other people, you know, on the other end of the of the line. And you know, it's a great formula that continues to work with the guilty. My only thing is if you watch this and if you really liked it, whether you watch it, whether you watch it first or not, I think it's very, very, it'd be cool if you actually watch the original as well. I mean, hopefully if you watch The Guilty and enjoy it, or maybe even if you don't enjoy The Guilty, uh, this Netflix version, go to the original because the original is such a fantastic film. Can I change my mind? Yeah. Watch this one. If you haven't seen the original, watch this one first than the original yeah because i think the i think the ending to the original is going to be much more of a just yeah. watch this one first then watch the original i'm just gonna stop saying okay but, well uh, you, i'm i'm gonna take it to I, I, I think, also, I, think say, I think the ending to the original works a lot better i uh, i don't yeah that's fine more than that's this. fine yeah don't say more to that <laughs> yeah i agree the original to, to the original is just very resonant and it hits you with its subtlety and it's very it, it's really galvanizing the ending of the original, but still, in my opinion, does not detract from the remake. Still very good performance from Jake Gyllenhaal. Bruce Berkey, your thoughts on The Guilty? Well, I'll tell a little story. So imagine it's Saturday morning, you're a little kid, and you go downstairs, you're really excited to get your, your bowl of cereal. And you get down there, your mom pours you the bowl of cereal, and you go, what's that? And she goes, well, those are um, fruit rings. Your fruit rings? I mean, I like, I, I like Fruit Loops, mom. And she goes, well, but I got your fruit rings. Well, were they out of Fruit Loops? Oh, no, they had lots of Fruit Loops. They had tons of them. Oh, are, do these taste better? Oh, no, they're pretty close. Uh, these are cheaper, right? No, no, no. These are more expensive. You got to pay more for Fruit Rings. <laughs> but you're going to have Fruit Rings today. This movie's Fruit Rings. It's, well, it's can, I tell, can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, fruit rings are they more nutritious for you because i'm gonna play corporate america are, are they, are they, they more, more colors more colors <laughs> that's all okay F- folks again eat your fruit rings we love you netflix <laughs> i'm a sellout eat your fruit rings are good for you the no colors i mean the- <laughs> this movie's this movie's fine and it honestly i was i was i was hap- happily surprised to see it stayed pretty focused but it did still 
it had to, it couldn't resist, you know, it couldn't resist being a little more Hollywoodized, you know, and more ham handed. Would you say yeah, that? Well, I mean, the, the acting, the, the main character was, was more over the top, more emotive. Like part of the original is that he's much more subdued, but I think it also, that makes it more intense. Whereas this comes out a little more melodramatic, a little bit. It's not bad though. Can I and, can I throw in a, a rebut on this? Like, and I, I want to throw a little equation here. Sure, you can throw in as many butts as you want. Go ahead. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, I don't throw in a butt, okay. then rebut. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, uh, you know, I, this guy's gonna make a crypto joke, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna and, and butts. So I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna try to try, try to you know because I don't want to sound like a misogynist. But no, let's just say, for example, let's say they remake the Searchers. Okay, the John Wayne character. Let's just say Tommy Lee Jones plays the uh, plays exactly the John Wayne character, and he he is as stoic. That's actually, not a bad pitch. Oh, right. thank you, sir. <laughs> thank you, sir. But he is as stoic and as mysterious and as really elusive as a John Wayne character in The Searchers. A lot of critics, maybe even us, might say, "Oh, well, this seems like a note by note performance of what John Wayne did in The Searchers." So I don't know if I'm really into that. So my thing to you is. Do you think maybe they went a little bit overboard to change up the original? Because if they went exactly beat by beat, which Jake could have done, they would have been really discredited. Or do you think that's that uh, shouldn't they even? Didn't, they didn't change it that much. And it's so close in time to the other movie. This is kind of like, this, to me, it's just a, if you really don't like subtitles, you really don't like them, or you just maybe literally can't read them. Okay. You can watch this. You'll get some out of it, but it's kind of like um, funny games or what was the other one? Uh, let, don't let the right one or let the right one in. Sorry. Yeah. It's um, supposed to let me in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're fine. You you get most of the same out of it, but it's just, uh, it's like uh, one tenth or one fifth less of what you had before or not quite there, you know? So to me, it's kind of a why what's the point. But you can watch this. I think if you watch this, it's not bad. I wouldn't say I'm not recommending it, but I'm more recommending the other movie. I'd say just go watch the other movie. And then if you're interested in seeing the differences, I'm kind of the reverse of Eric, but I I know Eric's point. There is a value to Eric's way of going about it as far as emotional impact. But that also just kind of just goes straight to the source is kind of what I would say. But I, I kind of see Eric's point. Yeah, it's I, fine. I, I wish I could say more about it, but that would yeah. kind of defeat the whole yeah. purpose. No, no, I know you're. <laughs> I know what you're getting at. And the last thing I'd say is that Eric's totally right. And the other one, I gave it a few passes as far because I don't know the rules over in Europe for you know dispatchers and call takers, but I know the general rules that you're going to have in America, and they, they vary from call center to call center. But stuff like standing up in the middle of the call center and yelling at everybody <laughs> you're, you're not going to do that you know banging on the windows and and then he goes he goes way around some certain things which he shouldn't be doing but they do get around that a little bit by saying he's sort of a maybe he's a cop that kind of cuts corners so you kind of get a little bit of that too but th- they would have kicked him out of the, if they didn't fire him they would have kicked him out of the call center they said you can't take calls today you're out dude no way and they would have been listening to him you know you don't have to yell at somebody to get their attention. You can contact each other while you're on calls, you know? So that's kind of weird. Bruce, does this movie have a bit, uh, sorry, Eric, uh, you want to, you were going to say something. I was going to say, uh, cause they did this in the original. So when you're mm. doing the calls, I mean, you say they can hear you, but not if they go in the other room though, when they go in the other room, then they can no tap can well, his manager, like the, the person that was basically like his manager, right. In yeah. this movie, that manager could tap into any phone line in that center. Yeah, but not any, if but not if they go another room. Then they're well. That, no, that is just all, between them and 
Well, that's the other thing in this movie. All those posts are going to be manned. And if they're not manned, someone else is manning that spot. So if the manager position or the that position is going on a break, someone is virtually going to take that position from them while they're gone. Yeah. Like that position is not going to just be empty. Um, I, I, and- I guess I guess the th- whole thing I'm poking fun at in this and the original is <laughs> yeah. just going in the other room. It's like, dude, like the, I, I yeah. don't see the idea of getting more privacy if people are no. still listening in. Well, you would never do that either. You never say like, I'm just going to get up and go into a private room where I can have my own like call center and just do what I want. No, <laughs> they're going to immediately be tapping into you. Like what the hell is that guy doing? <laughs> you know, like, Bruce, does this movie no. get a little bit more of an upscale for people who are not even familiar with the original and they go into this movie blind? Do you think this movie yes. has more of an, okay. Okay. Yeah. If you, if you went in this cold, had no idea it was a remake, it's a perfectly good movie. It's enjoyable. It's pretty darn well done because it does maintain a lot of that purity of the original as far as like that focus. So I think it's pretty good, but I mean, knowing there's another one that's just got made, that's better. It, it, that's what I say is like, it's a kind of like, well, why, why for, you know, what's the point? Fair enough. Okay. So that is the guilty again in theater, September 24th, October 1st, it hits Netflix solid recommend for me. My only caveat is please please see the original oh, sorry, Bruce. once you have time see the original if you get the chance it's a, a fantastic movie so solid recommend for me eric holmes strong recommend for you on the guilty yeah then the more i'm thinking of it i'm thinking watch if you haven't seen the original watch this one first than the original because i think it's gonna i think the the ending's gonna hit harder on the original if you watch that second it's gonna hit hard either way but okay. i think if you're expecting things because that i mean that's that's the cool thing about this the endings are just different enough and i think they both work on their own levels and bruce that is a recommend for you with a very interesting complex recommend i'm assuming for the guilty in in a in a weird way that it's like my recommend is if you don't have any idea and you're not listening to us and you think this is the only version that exists you're gonna love it but if you know the other one exists, just go watch the other one. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. Oh, jeez. If, if you know the other one, not even not as a curiosity curiosity shop factor as far as a remake. Like, oh, we all love the Guilty, the original. Let's see what it's like. No? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's fine. It, but it's, yeah, like I said, it. like I said, if you really want to see what the fruit rings taste like after you taste the Fruit Loops, go for it. You're not going to get a whole lot more out of it. So. By the way, folks, I those, love those fr- purple rings are pretty good, though. Yeah, thank you, <laughs> Eric. Purple rings I, are pretty good. I love fruit rings. I, you know, me and Gus Van Zandt were eating a bunch of fruit rings when we were watching uh, the remake of Psycho together. <laughs> psycho. <and> I, <laughs> the shot for shot Psycho remake. The shot for shot Psycho, man. I was like, man, please, Mr. Van Zandt, do Hitchcock's entire oeuvre. I want shot for shots. I'd, I'd be okay. Would be, were you fine with a shot for shot uh, on uh, Psycho, Eric Holmes? Have you ever seen that? Yeah, yeah, I saw it when it, well, when it came out on the VHS, I guess, at the time. You're cool uh, with it? Yeah, yeah. It, it, to me, it was just kind of a neat experiment. You know, that and I, I wasn't precious about, I'm still not that precious about Hitchcock. I like him, but I'm not like, oh, sit, you know. It's just uh, it's just Gus Van Zandt thinking, hey, let's try a thing. And he tried it and worked for some, didn't for most, and whatever. <laughs> you know, the only the only thing that really uh, infuriated me about that remake is one one. I think one day on an offhand call, Bruce Perky just decided to call me in the middle of the night and told me, hey, by the way, Gus Van Zandt's remake is way better than the original. Don't tell anyone. Was that true, Bruce? Did you say that? I don't. 
I totally did. I totally called you in the middle of the night and I said that to you. I mean, it's one of one of the daily calls in the middle of the night that I make you. So I, you know, got to mix it up a little bit. <laughs> got to mix it up. And, and, and he never called. And I, I am, I'm not even going to ask Bruce Perky what he thought of the remake of that um, Van Zandt's remake. We all know what he, what he's going to think because you know, I and I think most people feel the same way about that remake of Psycho. Now, here's a documentary called "The Most Beautiful Boy in the World." Very interesting moniker. I, I I don't know where to start with this because it opens in theaters Friday, September 24th at the Quad Cinemas in New York, Newark in Los Angeles. And it centers on the life of this actor named Bjorn Anderson. Okay. Bjorn Anderson to cinephiles of today. Oh, no, 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 no. No? I didn't know. And so I'm guessing other people might not either. I, oh, you, oh, you you didn't know? Well, this is, I, oh, this is, okay. The, I'm gonna... the, the, the later part that shows up. I didn't oh, know later. that. I didn't know who that was. Okay, so wait, maybe what? other people might not know. Yeah, I don't know, Bruce. Should we even say that? I mean, he should we? Well, you could I say can... he played a very, very impactful role in a very famous recent movie. How's that? Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. As so an he... older man, you know. So. All right. Well, look, I was going to actually <laughs> rebut Eric Holmes on this, but here's the thing. I, Eric Holmes is actually in the right. I'm look. I was actually going to spoil this because I'm looking at the documentary description and they talk about Bjorn Anderson when he was 15 he was hired among he was chosen among hundreds of young young boys to actually play an important part in the in Death in Venice directed by Lucino Visconti back in 1970 okay that's that's the premise for this movie the movie that Eric Holmes was saying he was surprised by we will not mention I was actually going to drop it right now and mention the movie but in Eric's defense I'm looking at the description. They do not mention that movie. So it is an interesting movie that has come out within the last couple of years. And and Bruce, and if you're looking at the video, Bruce is actually pointing to, to one of his <laughs> Blu-ray box covers. So we're going to keep that as a surprise for you guys. Just know that Bjorn Anderson, he's, he's an actor, he's a musician, composer, but this movie looks at his life and how his life was affected after working in Death in Venice. I mean, he, he ended up being a very... A, a teen pop idol, a teen idol in, in Japan. And he was lusted over by many a person after his just charismatic performance in Death in Venice, because at 15, he was considered the most beautiful boy in the world, a nickname or phrase that was given to him by Mr. Lucino Visconti, a celebrated filmmaker. Let's get to Bruce Perky first. Bruce, what did you think of this? You know, I'm going to just say it, it's nine, it runs at 94 minutes. It's an extremely melancholic film. What did you think of this, Doc? Yeah, I'm. I would say, I would slightly recommend it. That's like my bottom line on this one. But it's a really frustrating documentary to me because it hints at a ton of things, but it doesn't really dive into them. And I mean, you get you can get out right out the gate. I mean, here's a young young. He's a boy, really, right? When he's cast in this in this scene, the most beautiful boy in the world, and he becomes this you know, cause celeb in can. And like you said, uh, teen idol and all this stuff. And you can tell he's kind of a troubled guy later in life. And you get to see some of that. You get to see a lot of him walking around, you know, walking around in a long coat, walking around outside at night in the beach, in a bathhouse. Yeah. These, yeah. And yeah. It, it, I almost feel like, and you guys tell me what you think. I feel like they had the idea, like something's up with this guy. We're going to get down to the bottom of this. And they got access. He said, come on, well, let's talk. And then he, I feel like he would never talk all the way. 
because they hint a lot that there was something nefarious that happened during the first few years of that whole time of his life. They kind of hint at it, which is kind of irresponsible if you're not going to at least accuse or have him at least come out and say what he experienced. They just kind of let it lay out there as sort of a just a general idea in this movie. And that, that kind of bothers me. And it makes me think that maybe they got into this and couldn't get him to go talk about it and couldn't get anyone else to talk about it. So they just had to make a movie with what they had. So that's kind of how it feels to be. I still think there's value added because it it is going to tell you about somebody you probably have no idea about. And when you do find out who you know him as now, most likely, it will surprise you that he had this entirely other, even bigger, more famous part of his life. So that that's interesting, I think. Yeah, I, re- I really, you know, I, I can't say one can enjoy this documentary. This is, a, like you said, Bruce, a very value added documentary on Bjorn, especially when you realize what film made him famous years ago with Death in Venice in the current film that he was in that all of us, many of you listeners will get to, will be surprised when you realize, oh, wow, he was in this film. You might, you might want to go back and pick up your Blu-ray or DVD or, or your streaming service and watch him in, a, in that very impactful sequence again. Now, Eric Holmes, what did you think of this documentary? Well, I think I'm an idiot because one, I'm watching this and I didn't know who the guy was at all. I didn't even know of the death in Venice. So I'm watching this thinking that uh, like uh, you guys were thinking with the the Penny Black. Like when right. I was watching the Penny Black, I'm just like, oh, this is a documentary. I didn't even think of it again because I'm dumb. I don't think that hard into things a lot of the time. But uh, with this one, um, I, I was thinking more of the Penny Black. I'm like, oh, it's like a mockumentary. That's that's cool that they use like old film stock. And like I thought that this was all set up. And then the movie's going along and then like uh, something seemed off. So I paused it and looked up death in Venice and like this whole is an actual thing. I'm like, Oh fuck, this is a real ass documentary. So this is a real person. Okay. And then the movie goes on for about 16 hours. I'm like, okay, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it's kind of, I kind of agree with the, actually I very much agree with Bruce that like they kind of hint at stuff, but the story's not, the, there's no story there. It's just kind of the same thing over and over. Like uh, it's almost like they spend was this uh, movies like an hour fifty minutes something like that, which 90, isn't ninety four minutes. Yeah, which isn't bad. Yeah. But when you keep teasing the same thing over and over again, and you don't, nothing's yeah. moving forward. It's just like uh, he was he was uh, abused. Maybe we don't know. Could be possibly was he abused? He was definitely maybe abused. I think possibly and so like yeah. an hour of that it was just like okay just well what did something happen or and then uh you know they show him is kind of like a not really a hoarder but he's definitely like living in squalor and then there was a certain part and this is the reason i stopped you greg because there was a part where i'm like oh it's that guy and then now this is just a, this is just like completely like you know kind of blown my mind it's like wow it's that guy i didn't know that he may have possibly gotten abused but more importantly like i didn't know about that that's like his history of like apparently he was really big in japan or uh just yeah. asian in general and didn't you because didn't you feel like there was multiple stories that were really interesting that they didn't go into like yeah. he starts to, starts to talk about his mom there's some real darkness with his mom but yeah we don't ever quite dive into that, you know? Yeah. They like, they, yeah. They, yeah. His they kinda... girlfriend now, his girlfriend now is kind of crazy. And you want to see what's going on with that well, relationship. I, I got a different <laughs> read on her. I, I got, 
Well, wait. So was his girlfriend the one helping him clean the place or yep. the one that was giving him shit for having the, the place? Same person. Same, same person. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't pick up on that at all. Yeah. Like I said, I'm really smart. <laughs> <laughs> like smart. Um, yeah. They keep starting things and you're like, want follow through on some of these things just to ask yeah. the questions, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, we were talking last week about, you know, the, the man behind the monster, how it looks like a YouTube documentary. This is not at all. This thing looks fantastic. I mean, I, I mentioned earlier, I thought I was watching a movie kind of, you know, a, a, what, what do they call that? The uh, film, whatever, make, make it look realistic, but it's film verite. I thought yeah. it was like one of those sort of things. Yeah. So when I did find out it was actually, I'm actually watching a documentary that was uh, pretty illuminating and pretty yeah. surprising. And yeah. then the other part was surprising too, but overall the yeah, there's there's a bunch of story here, but they kind of it's almost like there's an explosion, a fight, and a unicorn eating a eating a minotaur behind me, but I'm videotaping the wall, and so you kind of <laughs> you kind of hear some of it in the background, but it's like, dude, turn the camera that way. That's where the action is. You know, this movie is is a very is an acquired taste because I think you have to be in a certain mood or exploratory vibe to it and i think it goes to you eric was the way this was movie was shot and we sure agreeing with this it's directed by christina lindstrom and christian P- uh, petri p-e-t-r-i it's it is beautifully shot okay so it is not pure verite where you just have look people talking heads and they they explain everything and maybe in many ways that, that could have been a really interesting documentary as well i think what the filmmakers were going for was this heightened in a way, heightened realism that you show him in, in a bathhouse contemplating things while he gives, while he's while he's in the water. He's he's out in the beach and he's looking out into the to the to, into the water. Then he's walking down a a very dark and haunted corridor. It, it, it seems there's so many of these very interesting heightened moments that I think it, it ultimately that's why maybe Eric, you were thinking, well, is this a straight up true documentary? Because there's there was a lot of style behind this movie. Also, the information is very elusive because, you know, Bjorn himself is very elusive. You, you yeah. just, it's, he seems like the kind of guy like, hey, let's just talk about your life over, over some beer or a nice dinner. And he's not going to, there, is, there are things that he just won't let go. And this includes his experience in Death in Venice, his relationship with his mother and father, with his family there, and his own sister, his child. It's one of these things that in its own elusive way, a lot of these questions are answered in a very elliptical fashion that you're either going to get on that boat, which I did, or in fairness to what you guys were saying, may not. So it's going to be a very stylized documentary. Eric, my question to you is, Bruce gave this a, a light recommend. Do you give this a light recommend at all, or do you not recommend it just because uh, it didn't really satisfy your viewing needs for this movie. Well, I specifically want to uh, recommend it to William Lindis and Andrew Martin, <laughs> but they probably already know as soon as they heard uh, okay. who the guy is. <laughs> right. But uh, um, there, there's, I think there's an audience for this. It wasn't quite up my alley, but again, like this is, uh, uh, you know, I was, we were talking about that. This is a documentary that could easily play in a movie theater, and like you should definitely go to a movie theater and watch this one because it looks fantastic. <laughs> The story just didn't grab me, and yeah. this, it, it was kind of. It seemed like there was some stuff there, but they just weren't focused on the stuff that I would have been interested in. And 
you know, maybe that's a me yeah. problem or maybe that's an issue with the movie. I have no idea. But I, I think there's some people that's going to like it. I didn't really work for me, but, you know, okay. that's kind of so, where I'm at. All right, I, so, I, would, I would say give it a shot. This would be like one of those give it 30 minutes. If you're if you're feeling it, then keep going. Okay, so this is this movie is, you know, a lot of you might see it when it's on streaming or on demand. Slight recommend from Bruce. Eric is pretty much a slight, slightly no on the recommend, but he said maybe get, maybe give this movie a shot because a lot of this, a lot of stuff is filmic. For me personally, this is a strong recommend. I enjoyed this movie again. I hate to bring up the little caveat thing, but my only caveat regarding this movie is if you listen to Eric and Bruce's review of The Most Beautiful Boy in the World and are hesitant about watching this movie per their cr- critiques and their praises of this doc, I would say go the other way because again, melancholic, it is sad. It will drain your life's energy while you're watching this movie. Oh, yeah. yeah very, if you're, if you're depressed, movie. this is a hard pass. This is a <laughs> yeah. hard pass, man. Yeah. I get, just got, get, get happy before you get in there. Get happy. And then let it bring I mean, you down. I would not watch this movie on my phone while I'm standing on a cliff. I would not do that <laughs> okay. for sure. <laughs> very, very good, Bruce. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. So interest. this is a very interesting documentary. I'm glad that we all got to check this movie out again. In theaters, September 24th, this Friday, the Quad Cinemas in New York, Newark in Los Angeles. We'd love to hear what you guys think of this movie. Guess what? That is our, you know what? We don't have to do three or more, three or two or three more featured reviews. We're done. We're finished. Now we, we finally get to do a rewind for, for Pete's sake. What do we start off with, Bruce, first? Malignant or Sweet Girl? What do you want? Your choice. Dealer's choice, sir. Um, Sweet Girl. Let's do Sweet Girl. We don't have to get into the plot of the Sweet Girl. We know it's Jason Momoa, Isabel Merced, father, daughter. It's situated. Their mother has cancer. She dies from the cancer. That's not a spoiler. There's something problem with the prescription company. Maybe they're corrupt. The dad, played by Jason Momoa, decides to go on a one-man revenge mission against Big Pharma to take them down. And why is it? If it's about a dad going to take Big Pharma down, why is this movie called Sweet Girl? I don't know. That's something that you need to know. Once you watch this movie, Sweet Girl, which I thought was very sweet and I loved it. I thought Isabel Mercedo and Jason Momoa were fantastic. I would watch this movie again. I strongly recommend this movie. I don't even know what it's rating on its Rotten Tomatoes. I'm, I should check in a second. Bruce, your one line recap, recommend, uh, recommend or disrecommend on Sweet Girl. Your thoughts. This is a pure, pure taste in bad movies kind of movie. If this is the, this could easily be a bad movie you love because just the tone hits you right and the absurdity keeps piling on and makes it fun. Like another movie that's coming up for me. This movie was like when the absurdity piles up and the twist happens, I wanted to throw things at the screen. I'm like, what do you do? Oh my God. <laughs> it was like, this was a groaner. I didn't like it. Groaner, this groaner is, I thought, it was, didn't, you, didn't you tell me of Sublime? No? Or is that something else? another movie sweet something else no no sublime. Not sublime. Isn't the guy from sublime he's dead right so, yeah. <laughs> okay okay sublime. so so sublime and sweet girl probably does not mix for bruce perky per this re- per this review for netflix so that is a not recommend from bruce perky i love this movie recommend for me enjoyed it now the final vote finally eric holmes spent some time over the weekend to actually watch oh my gosh sweet girl as of right now on rotten tomatoes i am cringing tomato meter from the critics 19% audience score 42%. Gosh, okay. Eric Holmes plus 42. Is that equal? Uh, no, it does not equal to your favorite number of all time. Equal Eric 76. Damn. Okay, right. okay. No union there. Eric Holmes, your thoughts on Sweet Girl? 
I like this one for the most part. It's uh, uh, kind of scratch that John Q. Itch, the Denzel Washington. Uh, it's it's got like the big black and white message, and then uses uh, you know action movie violence to solve it or figure it out or you know whatever. Eric um, Holmes, you know who directed John Q? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he did. I thought I thought it was John yeah. Cassavetes or one of the Cassavetes. Uh, 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 yes, Nick Cassavetes, who was in what? Uh, uh fury <laughs> Nick fury. he was a big bank robber in last week in prisoners of the ghost land oh, oh i already forgot that movie <laughs> <laughs> you already forgot about that i wanted to plug prisoners of the ghost land one more time eric holmes he was wasn't he good in that movie he, I, I i don't know what he looks like i just I he was just a big guy he did the, he did the, yeah he oh. was, he was he oh was, yeah that's was, right you did mention that you did mention that yeah. wasn't his name something like uh psycho yeah psycho very good cool. yeah. <laughs> Bruce, what is your business knowing this movie more than me and Eric and we love it so much? Nicholas Cage's character was named Hero. Yeah. H-I-R-O. Just... <laughs> Bruce Sparky. Very good. By the way, it was the bomb performance by Nick Cassavetes last week on Prisoners of the Ghost Line. But okay, you mentioned John Q. Sweet girl, keep on going. You like so, the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's got the it's got the uh um I mean the the way that the, the characters are set up, you know, uh are my wife's dying. Her mom's dying of cancer, and we just need this drug. Oh, you can't have that drug because we're putting a hold on it for you know for money reasons. Yep. You're a piece of shit, and now she dies as a result. So now we're gonna you know turn it into an action movie, and that that's fine. You know, it, it, like I said, John Q works on the same same kind of principle. Uh, my son needs a heart, and uh, and we can't afford health insurance, so we're gonna beat people up until that happens. You know. So what you're saying is sweet girl, a topical look at the med, med industry, right? Bruce, what, what, you know, what do you think? Let's, let's redescribe that scene that he just did. No, what really happens is the doctor runs out and says, we got the drug. We've got the drug that'll save her. <laughs> and then they say, no, we're pulling it. We're not going to let you have it. And then he calls up on the CNN show and somehow gets through and says like, if I find you, I will kill you. <laughs> and then exactly. the daughter sings while the mom is dying, sings to her. And then... Uh-oh. Okay, uh, for, oh uh, there, there's the first problem. I don't know how much they spent to sing Guns N' Roses, but that did not work, and you wasted your money. But <laughs> but everything Bruce said is true, and I was kind of here for it. You know, it, it's right. it's topical, but it's stupid, and I can like when you use those topical things in a black and white way. It's it's real easy to get behind the character, and sure, I'm not I'm not taking the movie too seriously. It's low hanging fruit. I'm, yeah, but I'm taking it seriously enough to have fun with it. And then, <laughs> yeah, and then the most then, magi- it gets, then it gets to the twist. Then it gets to the most magical moment ever in movie history, Eric. And now right. there's there's parts of the <laughs> twist that kind of explain things because sure. Jason Momoa is acting in a way that just did not make mm-hmm. sense to me. And then when I get to the twist, all the Jason Momoa stuff made sense. But now other things don't make sense. Okay. And so th- this does the high tension thing where it's like, okay, first of all, you didn't need that twist. And second of all, I think that twist breaks the movie upon reflection. But thankfully that twist happened like right at the very end. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where uh, one of those movies, like, I don't hate that twist that much, I guess. Thank but you. I, yes. I would say that. If you turn the movie off right, like if you know where that twist is and you turn the movie off right there, it's perfectly decent kind of 
you know, fun, silly action movie with a bit of a mess, you know, bit of a political message. And yeah, overall, it's a recommend. I think a lot of people have fun with it, but man, oh man, <laughs> that ending is uh, a doozy. It's 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 quite brilliant, Greg. It's quite quite a, it's quite, quite, a, quite a brilliant ending for for Sweet Girl. I'm gonna ruin the twist right now for Sweet Girl. The twist is Jason Momoa is actually a fish. He rules Atlantis. The rest of the movie, he just <laughs> literally and, and he literally flops around. So that is I mean, the big twist of Sweet yeah, Girl. Yeah, that's why that's why he jumps into the water at the very beginning. He gave it away, so now you don't Sorry. have to watch it. Sorry, folks. Sorry, folks. That sweet girl. Something that was... flops after that point. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. Something. Different. Um. I, I I will say that uh, yes. I, I do kind of like uh, Jason Momoa. He had a couple. The music choices in this movie kind of hurt it a lot. Um. I think uh, Jason Momoa. He, he had a he had a couple of uh, emotional scenes that I kind of bought, and I wasn't quite expecting that from him. So I'd like to see him kind of be able hopefully this is one of those movies that someone watches go oh you know i'm gonna have jason momoa in this drama and you know let him kind of spread his wings a little more um maybe not we'll see but i i did like him a lot in this like the girl in this yeah as the bummer Uh, said there was a there was a hitman that should have been killed like look if you're gonna get in a fight with jason momoa you can't look like either of us three right (laughs) or or skinnier you need to be as big as Jason Momoa because if Jason Momoa throws you into a pole, you die immediately. That's a very good point. And after very you're done, di- and after you die, your body falls to the ground and then you explode. That's how much power he has in his movements. <laughs> and so the 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 hitman, the rail thin hitman guy that he's throwing, you know, yeah. But that I mean, these are all nitpicks. It's it's an action movie. You gotta kind of let stuff like that go. But yeah, overall, recommend. Just be get braced for that ending because it is. <laughs> I I'm it, I, it, it, they they went for it. We'll just say they, they went. For they it. definitely went for it in the sweet girl and the twist and everything. There's a lot of stuff. And, you know, again, look at the audience score: forty two percent and the nineteen percent from the critics. You know, this is one of these things. So again, not definitely not a recommend from Bruce Perky and a recommend from me and Eric. Yeah. Speaking of whether or not we should recommend this, is uh, you know what. You know, cutting the cancer out is very a good thing. It's always a good thing, in my opinion. Is it a good thing, though, when that is a big part of this movie called Malignant, which currently, as we speak, has a tomato meter rating from critics, surprisingly, at 76%, while the audience score is at a, I'm not going to say paltry, but at a disappointing 53%. This is the latest movie from Saw co-creator James Wan. He's done, you know, we talked about Fish. He directed Aquaman, that Aquaman film. And, you know, he's he's a very, he's one of Hollywood's most successful filmmakers. Malignant, by the way, if you look, if you look at our YouTube channel, our video channel, we're going to have, yeah, Bruce Perky has the poster of Malignant behind, behind him. How, Bruce, can you tell our listeners, how did the, you get that wonderful poster of Malignant? I just went down to the local theater and said, you want to give me that poster? And they said, yep. Did you you just said uh, you you, you want to give me that poster or did you say may I please have that poster, <laughs> sir? <laughs> More please. Oh, I said we walk the night. Okay. <laughs> they said it's yours. Okay, <laughs> your very nice silver throat. We're gonna talk about twists 
and by the way, we, we just got back from a, a, a music license cut for me. But we we're, look, we're not going to talk about the, the plot of the again about this. The woman, she has nightmares. Uh, she has waking dreams. And she she believes she or you know, she claims she sees murders happening in, you know, in real time when maybe they're actually nightmares. The woman in question is played by actress Annabelle Wallace. She's terrific in this movie. Her sister is played by Maddie Hassan. And really, that's really much. Uh, I think uh, Annabelle Wallace. What did you say? Hey, you, poster boy, poster man. You have you have Annabelle Wallace right behind you. She's in acting. red. Eric Holmes. Do you think Wallace. acting was a strong point in *Malignant*? Or did you do you agree with Bruce that, that maybe there wasn't it wasn't thespian level acting from Annabelle Wallace and the cast? Um, the I mean, I I didn't have a problem with the acting. A lot of it seemed over the top, but that's kind of. I mean, this uh, this it, would, it felt in line with the tone of the movie, or kind of what it was going for. So I just that that didn't stand out to me as a, a mark on the against a movie. Okay, now um, first of all, yeah, first of all, before we get into our rewind on or just general discussion on *Malignant*, if you're looking for a straight-ahead horror thriller slasher thing that is A to B, forget it. If you're looking for a suspense thriller that has a really cool twist and it has a resonant, gives you like a resonant, like, wow, this is amazing, like Vertigo or To Catch a Thief, that kind of stuff. Forget that. If you're looking for a movie that is completely wacky and insane, and I don't know where this movie came from, yes, 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 yes. This is very, very good. And if you want to have your emotions played with for the longest time, yes, this movie is right up your alley. Bruce, you've been banging on the malignant drum for the past several weeks. What did you love about this movie? What did you hate about this movie? Why have you coerced me and Eric to finally get a shot to see Malignant? Why? Well, like Sweet Girl, it's if you like the tone of the the camp here, you'll love it. And I, it caught me and it finally worked on me. And I was really kind of looking at it side-eyed for the first half probably. And But now I like the first half better because of where it was going and understanding what it was doing. And to me, what I really like, and this kind of inspired my recommendation for the week, I like when a major studio gets to a point with a director that it feels like they said, you know what, we're going to give you a decent budget and we trust you. You've given us good, solid product in the past. Show us what you got. Just have fun. And it feels like they did that with this. And he just took it and ran. And the fact that this weird movie is coming out of a major studio with funding behind it, it is kind of amazing to me. And I, I love it when that happens and it's kind of rare. Well, kind of rare. It's atypical. I don't, I'm trying to think of movies that were made under this kind of, I guess, studio umbrella. And I can't think of a movie within the last maybe decade. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's a bunch of movies, but this is a rare experience. That's a good thing. So that being said, Eric Holmes, you find your, your fresh, you have fresh eyes, ears, mouth, everything fresh malignant gently used but gently you have all gently used very good did you go gentle into that good night watching malignant did this actually creep under your skin and did you love it well the so the opening scene was really good then it got boring for about an hour and then it got weird again at the end and they got the you know the action foot chase like down into the catacombs or whatever that was pretty cool the twist uh, made me think, uh, oh, it's a remake of Imprint. That's cool. Um, <laughs> I don't know how many, I don't know if anyone listening has Never seen, seen Takashi Miike's Imprint, but uh, 
check that out and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Or if you've seen Malignant, you can pretty much figure it out. So I, I heard a bunch of people talk about the craziness of the ending, but in Prince, one of my favorite Masters of Horror movies by Takashi Miike. And uh, so when I got to the end of Malignant and realized what the what the crazy thing was, I was kind of a little bit underwhelmed, we'll say, just because, you know, it, it, you know when, when someone like overhypes a movie for you a little bit and then you get there and I'm like, oh, this one, I, don't know. I mean, it was fine. It wasn't like that crazy or whatever. So this kind of kind of hurt it a little bit. But I did I did like the the ending uh the uh <laughs> the people running out. I, I think uh Bruce or someone posted something on Cinematics Facebook of uh the people trying to run out and Mal- the chair uh, throw. Yeah chair Detective throw. John Malignant throws the chair <laughs> and just hits them like right as they get to the door. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, there, there's definitely some cool action stuff in this. Uh, as a horror movie, you know, it's nah. it's, it, it's whatever it is. As an action movie, I kind of like it. And then that middle part kind of doesn't uh, do anything for me. Uh, but there are some, like, cool shots. Um, but the shots don't really add anything. To, like, the, I, I just think uh, kind of like, uh, you know, with uh, James Wan and Lee Winnell, you had Saw. And I, I really like Saw. And then it seems like when they split up, like we Lee Winnell just went dormant forever. Uh, but James Wan was kind of the guy who's doing all that stuff and kudos to him on his success. But then uh Lee Winnell comes out with uh upgrade and then the invisible man. And it's like, oh, that's where the brilliance of saw came from. Now it's now it's starting to make sense. I think they well, no, because didn't he uh didn't he kind of correct the conjuring and the see I didn't yeah. like those, I didn't really like those either. Interesting. I, 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 I'm just not a big fan of James Wan. I, not to say that I don't like him. It's just uh, kind of, I guess, kind of how Bruce seems to think of Anton Fuqua. That's kind of what I'm at Prof, with. Uh, me too. This is oh, my okay. favorite Wan movie. All right. <laughs> I think well, my, the rest of them are bland. I think this is almost a comedy. I think this yeah. is like, this is almost, it's almost a, almost a parody level of like yeah. Asian and Giallo and that those two scenes of uh, kinds of horror especially yeah my my favorite uh my favorite james Wan would probably either be this uh first saw or the aquaman trailer oh that's i thought you'd love something like death sentence i thought you'd, you'd probably love I, I never seen that i never seen that so oh interesting yeah but, no no i think i think you would love death sentence actually i'll, I'll, I'll give that a shot what was the other one there was death sentence and uh uh, the, the, I forgot the other one he did, but that's yeah. I remember interviewing him, and it's this like was in, death or dead something. Else. It was, came out the, around the that puppet dolls, dead silence, yeah, dead silence, it. right? Yeah, dead silence. Yeah. So, so those are the two I haven't seen. So maybe I should because I'm I'm kind of um, I'm not really a big fan of him doing horror, but I mean, uh, with his action stuff in this, like dude flying out of that door, just bouncing against a wall. I'm like, oh fuck yes. I think <laughs> so, it was like he 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 gets that like, kinetic stuff in. So I think. If he has some of that in his uh, Dead Silence or Death Sentence, maybe I will check those out. I think it was for the movie he did. I think it was Insidious 2 or something like that. And I, I think during the press junket, I, I specifically, my only question to him was, do you feel that Death Sentence was a completely underrated film? And I, I wish I still had the tape, but he was basically saying yeah. how he feels that movie. There's some, there's a really good moment in that movie. Don't yeah, worry. I saw, it. I, I saw part of The Conjuring and I'm just, I, I just yeah. Not, not your that, thing. That, okay. Yeah, it's not. And again, I know a lot of people love those movies. They're just 
not, not your speed thing. at all. So this movie, Malignant, is this a slight recommendation for you personally or not a recommendation for you? Did you yeah, like I mean, it? I, I, I enjoy, other than that middle part, I, for the most part, I enjoyed watching it. I, okay, cool. I have cool. no idea. I, I guess if you like The Conjuring and action movies, then give it a shot. Uh, if you haven't seen Imprint, I definitely recommend that. And you will hate me after you watch it. Okay. Uh, but okay, I so, recommend it anyway. Okay, Takashi Miike's imprint is actually Eric Holmes's meat review of, of Malignant. That's actually probably pretty value added. I, I've never heard of imprint. Definitely want to check it out. Bruce, you know what's interesting about Malignant is I was really not liking your recommendation, Bruce, of Malignant. 70 minutes into this movie, I felt like this was going to be the worst film of the year. And it felt really incoherent, incompetent, borderline stupid. And there's something that happens within the house. (laughs) And there was, there was something that happens in the house where something goes, well, let's just say something goes thud. And as soon as that happened, it goes to Bruce's point about this being a pretty much overt comedy in many ways, along with the horror thriller, suspenser twist elements, supernatural. Yeah. all, All that stuff. And everything just clicked. The only thing though, is you have to wade through the molasses that is, in my opinion, more than the first half of the movie. It it really bleeds into this the second half as well, but everything ramps up so well within the last 30, 35 minutes that Malignant ultimately became a guilty pleasure. Wonderful watch for me. I, I gave this movie three and a half stars just upon first viewing, but Bruce, to your point, after if I watch this again, I bet you... I don't know how many times you've seen this, Bruce. I'm assuming the first, okay. I'm assuming the first half, all that stuff that we all had to suffer through, it gets better, don't you think, Bruce? As far as it's an upscale, I think so because there's things in like that that I watch now. I go like, oh, that was dumb, but it was. I think it was kind of intentionally dumb. I think a lot of the stuff is kind of intentionally dumb. Like originally, you look at the, you see the um the police station for the first time, and it's this giant, like it looks like a big open warehouse you're like what the fuck kind of a police station then you understand oh it's like a parody of of a police station and then another really early one and then i'll let you finish but there's an early scene where remember where the sister's locked out of the house and she just pops up at the window which is the second story window yeah (laughs) you know bam and i'm like that's ridiculous and that's like overt comedy like no your sister's not going to climb to the second story window it's like a parody of these movies and i think that once you kind of get into that vibe i think this is a party movie i think this is something you could have on in a party you don't have to watch it that closely but it's stupid enough that it'll get people's attention you know there's some there's some really cool action scenes at the end when you find out i I don't want to ruin it um although i'm sure everyone's seen it but me at this point but uh, the when you find out how the thing works, the action scenes yeah. play mm-hmm. really well because yep. that, there's that little bit where it's like, wait, a whole like almost you want to rewind it and go, how they was that? You know, I, I can't say much more than that, but you can imagine what I'm talking about. I'm sure. Bruce, your point regarding there, there's the, certain mm-hmm. movements that shouldn't work on yep. a human. Yep. Yeah. No. No. Interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. Yeah. The action scenes are definitely enhanced at the end of the movie once you realize what's going on. Speaking of what's going on, Maddie Hassan again, the aforementioned sister that Bruce that you mentioned. There is a sequence, maybe a five to six minute sequence, where we follow her journey and she decides to go into an abandoned building filled <laughs> yes. with records. And you think to yourself, <laughs> the abandoned building filled with records in the middle of the night. That is such an incoherent plot sequence that a only a novice filmmaker would have done in his or her horror film. And I can't believe this is in the movie. And I was just saying, I was just thinking, this has no logic whatsoever. 
again, once you get the entire digest, the entire vision of what malignant is, everything makes sense because yes, that is a ridiculous scene. And a lot of this movie is ridiculous. If you're on that wave, you're going to probably really enjoy it as much as Bruce and I did and slightly recommended as Eric does. He likes one, one final yes. thing. Let's put a moratorium on where is my mind. Oh, oh right. it, it, it worked for fight club. Don't need to hear it again in a movie fight club. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on. Yes. Where's my mind? It does. It's a refrain throughout the movie. Where's my mind? Um, and yeah, it is a little bit. Yeah. The good thing on about it, it's kind of like if, on the nose. <laughs> if, but like, if you use a like Pulp Fiction already used Miserloo, whether you think you use it great or not, that that song belongs to Miserloo. Or when Kill Bill came out, and then afterwards you see like a bunch of things with and it's like right. all right, which I'm sure you probably got that from a kung fu movie. I don't know, but I mean, there there's certain songs that belong to movies. And once that movie owns that song, you just let it die. Like pick, you know, pick something else. But I, I seem to remember hearing "Where's My Mind" in the, like, in this movie. A, a lot more lately, and we we can just stop that right now. Okay, yeah, yeah, that, definitely. That should there should be a, a moratorium on "Where's My Mind." Again, in fairness to to that to that actual cut is i think it's a remake of where's my mind it's a musical it's yeah, an instrumental it's a, version by i forgot what what group did it the pixies. yes no yeah no, not the, not the pixies but it oh. was a, it's a remaking or reworking of the pixies version of where's my mind it's the pixos it just, no yeah the pixos the <laughs> pixelateds you know so no it's a it's a different version but still it is a little bit annoying and like bruce was saying it's too really on the dot maybe that adds to the whole inane flavor of malignant maybe he just maybe james wine just put it there just to annoy eric holmes and 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 all of us regarding adding that pixie song because it was so on the nose we never know we may we may never know maybe james wine just pops up 20 years later by the way hey hey everybody i hope you you know everyone who enjoyed malignant thank you guys because that was a total lark and i was just directing that blindfolded and laughing maybe that's maybe that's his whole mantra behind malignant either way no matter what he he made it at least Two strong recommendations by me and me and Bruce in a, in our own weird and wacky way, and a slight recommend for Eric Holmes, who had a lot of nice things to say about this as well. Even though he's not the biggest James Wan fan, oh my God, my eyes are tearing because I someone was right was was uh, doing a review of Malignant and said it was a salute to Jallo. Don't ever go there with that with this movie. Okay, so now let's go to recommendations. Eric Holmes recommends. What is your recommendation? I did not get to see it. I'm assuming Bruce Perky saw this a while back. This is a cult film and this is highly beloved. Can you tell our listeners what's your recommendation of the week? Yeah, it's a it's uh, a movie written and directed by LQ Jones based on a Harlan Ellison short story. In fact, I think this might be the only movie based on Harlan Ellison short story. I know Harlan Ellison wrote the screenplay for the Oscar, which I haven't seen, but I don't think the Oscar is based on one of his short stories, which is unfortunate because, you know, it's he's got so many good ones. It's so many great ones. I don't know why, you know, Hollywood and granted, he's, you know, he sues people like he's known for being litigious. But the reason he sues people is because people try to steal his shit and then he gets angry as you would. And so, so just pay him, option the rights to his thing and make a movie. It'd be awesome. But uh, they did make one and that was written and directed by LQ Jones starring Don Johnson and Jason Robard shows up in the last half and it's called A Boy and His Dog. 
And uh, what do we say about it, boy and his dog? This is World War Four. lasted for five days in the year 2024. The very distant future. It's two years from now. So <laughs> we still haven't seen World War Three yet. So it's going to be a rough two years. Let me tell you what. <laughs> uh, but uh, Don Johnson is walking around in a post-World War Four wasteland with his dog who speaks to him telepathically. Um, I think the reason that Harlan Ellison wrote the story was because he liked the idea of having a title, a boy and his dog. Cause you have certain thoughts of what a boy and his dog would be like uh, old yeller, like very feel classy, good, something tra- like this. Yeah, tragic maybe, but not Ma- you don't age. think you don't think Mad Max and right. you don't think of a uh, Don Johnson going around through a wasteland with a dog, trying to help him find a woman that he can, I mean, tech, and, and that he can rape. That's, that's pretty, this character is not, uh, Don Johnson's character is not a good character, as is true for many Harlan Ellison uh, stories. None of the characters are really great people in this, and he's got a fucking dark, dark sense of humor. And this this story and the movie is about as dark as you would expect, having having known Harlan Ellison, but not something you would expect having heard the title of the movie. Can this movie be made today within this politically correct climate we're in, or do you think it was, it, it, no. it would be watered down? <laughs> no. Yeah. Okay. I, in fact, I, I don't think, uh, I think people would have a problem with a lot of Harlan Ellison's <clears throat> stories and characters, but I think that's because when people, you know, people assume that just because a character is the main character in a, a, a movie or a, or a book, they assume that the writer is like, hey, this is okay. And that's not always the case. Sometimes it's just, uh, I mean, in Harlan Ellison's case, it's probably him just kind of trolling the audience saying, all right, you know, I mean, th- that's exactly what it was. But this is, uh, it's it's a good movie. It's It's got some, uh, it's really funny a lot of times, uh, especially with him and like his dog's kind of an asshole. And so he's always got like the quips and Doug Johnson's characters. He's pretty much an idiot. And then uh, there's it, the movie takes a turn about halfway through where they go to uh, the down under. And then it almost becomes like this weird, like uh Stepford wives or get out kind of thing. Uh, not, not same, not the same uh, storyline or anything, but it's got that kind of same off feel to it. Like everything looks normal, sort of. It's not going to be for everyone, but it might be one of those things. If you watch it, uh, I think a lot of people are going to be surprised about what exactly this is and what it has in store. Eric, let me ask you, LQ Jones, born 1927th, August 19th. He would be almost 100 years by now. It says on IMDb he's not dead. Now, this movie, A Boy and His Dog, it's his only feature film that he directed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he went on. I'm looking at his IMDb. He, he directed. He would go on five years later to direct an episode of the incredible Hulk. But then his mainly his entire life would be as a character actor. I went on his IMDb page. I took one look at his photo and wow, I've seen this guy in a million things. Do you think it's a shame that LQ Jones has not directed another movie since a boy and his dog? I, I don't think that I could be wrong, but I don't think it's because he wasn't allowed to, I get the sense that, uh, probably it just wasn't for him. And cause I, I believe he was an actor as well. Yeah, and so he, I, I think he kind of had a better time doing other things. And um, there's, uh, you can find an interview with LQ Jones and Harlan Ellison on YouTube. 
it's like an hour and a half, like hour and a half long. It's a pretty long interview. It's not even really an interview. It's just those two talking. And because at the time this was being made, because uh, LQ Jones was wait, because uh, Harlan Nelson was supposed to write the screenplay, and Harlan Nelson was taking forever to write the screenplay. And point LQ Jones like, dude, I'm writing it. And then Harlan Nelson got angry about it. And I guess there's a line at the end that uh, Harlan Nelson was kind of pissed about at the time, probably still before he died. But I think he, I think he eventually got over it probably due to after what happened after the Oscar. But uh, I, I would highly recommend if you watch a boy and his dog, then maybe seek out that, uh, that conversation with LQ Jones and Harlan Nelson. Cause it's a good one. And they pretty much, they lay everything out on the table. Cause I mean, Harlan Nelson doesn't want to mince words. And after hearing that LQ Jones does neither. So they, they, they kind of butt heads quite nicely, I think. Okay. So you recommend a strong recommend that recommendation or if it, or if you like cult films, go check out a boy and his dog. It's yeah, worth watching. If definitely, if you like cult films and if you like, um, like, I think that, I think this came out before Mad Max. Yeah, definitely. Like, I, I, I could be, yeah. yeah, so this probably this probably kind of set the table for a lot of what Mad Max, Road War, and all that. So just for from a film historian standpoint, I would watch that, and just for the fact that this is uh, to date, this is the only feature length movie based on a Harlan Ellison short story. So okay, and, until uh, until they get David Lynch to do, I have no mouth and I must scream. This is all we got, folks. <laughs> Ever since I was a teenager, I'd read all these. You know, Bruce, you remember in the 80s, you and I would feast on probably books in the library, books out in B. Dalton or Walden, all these really cult, interesting books that would be actually out for sale for us to to write to rifle through. And I would remember that people, a lot of critics, a lot of writers would be saying how awesome a boy and his dog was. And that was even back in the 80s. Bruce, when did I'm assuming you saw, you've seen a boy and his dog. When was the first time you saw it? Do you remember anything much about the movie? I saw it. I for sure saw it in the 80s, I think on VHS. I hadn't, I didn't remember too much about it. I actually just rewatched. I didn't have time to watch the whole thing before the show today, but I watched the first half and then I went and I watched just the very end because I thought I remembered how it ended and I was right. Yeah. I think Eric is spot on in this. If it sounds like you fit in the category that he mentioned, that's what I would go with. Um, I think, and I was watching this and it's really weird to describe this tone to people, the tone of this movie, because it's very independent. And kind of seems like, um, you know what it almost seems like to me? See what you think about this, Eric. This is almost has some similar tones to like a live action Ralph Bakshi movie. Like it almost yeah. feels, it almost feels a little bit like that. The weird, the weird humor yeah. and then the weird darkness that it sometimes has, it, it, it kind of has that vibe. So I feel like if you like Ralph Bakshi, you would probably like this movie. And oh, I'll, yeah. I'll, plus the tone of Ralph Bakshi is like spot that dude. That's a great example. Cause the, the tone of his movies is spot on too. Cause Ralph Bakshi, his characters do deplorable things. And uh, like a lot of stuff you would watch. I go, Oh, Ralph Bakshi, he condones this. No, no. The characters yeah. condone this. He, he's neutral. It almost to feels it. like it lives in that same universe. You could imagine if Ralph Bakshi make this, he would almost not have to do anything, but just animate it. Like, yeah. like, that stay the same that's spot on yeah that's a, that's and i've got to say a thousand that, years but yeah. sorry <laughs> i'm just so impressed I, I by that i didn't i didn't think about that until i watched it again after we talked about ralph bakshi so much and i was like damn this almost feels like that and then just gotta say this for a post-apocalyptic apocalyptic like dark comedy ending 
this one is really high up there. This is like a punchline of punchlines. I mean, to me, it's, 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 it's right up there with strange love almost in that kind of, Oh, okay. Well, that's high. That's high praise for that. For the it's, it's not as epic, but it's as, it's as sardonically um, cynical about humanity. <laughs> I guess I would say. Okay. So what do you think, Eric, about that? Oh, yeah. Did you like the ending, Eric? Yeah. Again, Harlan Nelson did not. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I think it was specifically like the last line was kind of a joke. And I think his issue oh, yeah. was the joke kind of, uh, you know, whatever. Um, I'm not but, talking about the line, but what happens in that last yeah. like five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'm just a fan of Harlan Nelson in general. And so I was already predisposed to like this, but I thought this was a pretty good, pretty good adaptation overall. And I think people should check it out. And that dude, Ralph Bakshi comparison is dead on. So, okay, yeah, so this- if you like, if you like Ralph Bakshi, watch this this is a really good recommendation from eric holmes one main reason why it is streaming freaking everywhere what is it fubco or fubco whatever that's hoopla voodoo for free Tubi, canopy Redbox with ads pluto tv with ads shout tv for free imdb tv so you can stream this puppy everywhere i'm i wouldn't be surprised if i I would yeah right i wouldn't be surprised if a boy and his dog is actually on YouTube somewhere, but yes, it is streaming everywhere. I'm going to probably see it this weekend when I have some time on Hoopla. Really excited to see, or Canopy. Really excited to see a boy and his dog. Recommendation from Eric Holmes. Now, Bruce, your turn. What is your recommend for this week? Well, mine, like I said, is uh, is um, inspired by the idea of a big, big studio release that was kind of wacky and surprised it ever had a big studio release because it's really not a big studio type movie. And that is 1985's Life Force by Toby Hooper. And this is after Poltergeist, I do believe. I think this is after he's already had a big hit. Um, of course, in a cult hit before that with you know, Texas Chainsaw, this is a $25 million movie. I looked up the budget and I compared it to a bunch of other movies. It's about the same as Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's more than Alien. It's about the same or a little more, I think, than Blade Runner. This movie does not look near as good as those movies. This is a big, giant, crazy B movie. So what is Life Force? Also, this is on AMC Plus, Shutter, Pluto TV. Once again, you can find this a lot of places. No problem. It's, oh, and it's a Canon feature, if that means anything to you. Canon, Golan Globus. If you don't know anything about Canon, you know the kind of stuff they put out. So basically, you have this, this team, scientist team, and they're out to study... Um, Halley's Comet. And it starts out with them and they're flying into the tail of Halley's Comet. And they're like, oh my gosh, there's something in Halley's Comet. It's a 150 mile long shape. It might look like a giant penis in space. I'm just saying that it might look like that. Um, and they go towards it and there it is. It's a big spaceship and they go inside of it and they find giant dead bat like figures and they find naked humans in crystals. And they say, well, this is a good idea. Let's take these naked human crystal aliens into our ship. <laughs> and off it goes. Uh, this is originally called Space Vampires. This is a crazy movie. Uh, there is a woman, Matilda May, who is naked in pretty much the whole movie. Everyone who's seen it remembers her. She's very memorable. And people get their life force pulled out of their bodies until they become shrunken groaning mummified creature type things uh you do get uh patrick stewart in here at one point 
acting up a storm. Steve, Steve Railsback, if you know him, he's the head dude. He's a terrible actor. He is the lead of this movie. Wasn't he's Steve Railsback the, the, uh, the Charles actor, Manson? The stuntman? Stunt okay. Charles no, Manson. he played Charles Manson in Helter Skelter. That's his claim to fame. And he played in this. And he's pretty terrible in this. This to me, okay. Will you like this movie? It's a mess, but this is a fun mess, I think, like Malignant. And I know Eric has seen this movie, so I'm curious to see what he thinks of this movie. To me, if you've seen old uh, Hammer movies, if you've seen especially the sci-fi that Hammer came out with, and I talked before about the Quatermass series, this is very, uh, harkens back to that kind of nonsense. And this is nonsense in the best way to me. It's got tons of like practical effects, craziness. It doesn't make any sense but it's fun all the way through. And it becomes kind of a zombie movie at the end too. That's a whole other aspect of this movie. It's just ridiculous. In a good way though. In a good I, way. I think so. This is, I think if you like camp movies, especially if you like 80 camp movies, 80s camp movies, and you haven't seen this crazy horror sci-fi movie from that era, then you're missing out on something pretty unique. Speaking of unique, was Toby was Toby a very unique filmmaker for you, Eric? Did you did you like this movie as well? As far as Life oh, Force goes, I, I didn't like this movie. I love this movie. Okay, <laughs> you know how you you know you're all sitting there at home listening to Finder Film on whatever podcast network or YouTube. By the way, thank you for listening. You know how you're always watching movies and you're always slightly disappointed because you're like, ah, I was really hoping I'd get to watch Steve Rails back and Patrick Stewart make out in this movie. Yes. Well, you get to watch it in this. <laughs> <laughs> they list it. They list it as Patrick Stewart's first on-screen kiss. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, th- this movie is like kind of bonk. It, it starts off. Uh, if you've ever read uh, Rendezvous with Rama, it, it uh, uh, starts off really similar to that. They're trying to do something, and then they come across a ship, and it, it's got a, like a cool sort of. Uh, um, you know, space exploration kind of vibe to it. And then once the, you know, once they see the bats and the vampires and it becomes that and then turns into day of the dead. And then it's like, all right, this is a movie we're watching. Cool. (laughs) I'm glad you love this, but I'm completely really, when it comes with Hooper stuff, I'm ignorant. So my question, I want to throw this question out to you guys. Bruce, you mentioned $25 million for life force before that he does poltergeist, which is a hit. Okay. So as a person who doesn't know anything, and I haven't seen Texas at all, as someone who doesn't know Hooper's stuff, did he, do you think he cashed in on both these movies? I'm not saying cash in creatively because they're both good movies, supposedly. I still haven't seen Poltergeist. Um, you guys like Poltergeist and you like this movie as well, Life for Life Force. Do you think the rest of his life was just making movies that he really wanted to do? Because if you look at his body of work, I'm assuming he could have kowtowed to the studios and made more studio friendly commercial films. Is that how the rest of his career went? Or is that a bad read on his body of work? after let's say post life force um i feel like I, I feel like texas chainsaw massacre is kind of his anomaly i feel like he really was into b movies i think a lot of the stuff you see are more b movie oriented like uh fun hat the fun house and then after this he makes invaders from mars a remake and he right. made texas chainsaw massacre 2 which you've seen texas chainsaw massacre 2 that is an over-the-top bonkers um when did he do even a lot camp fest that was pretty early, wasn't it? That was early too. Yeah, that was before yeah. that was before Poltergeist. Yeah, he I, I think he's kind of underrated as kind of um a B movie genre maker with a little bit better budgets than you normally would get. It kind of reminds me a lot of George Romero had George Romero not been stuck doing zombie movies over and over and over and over and yep. over and over and over and over again. 
I'm looking at a movie called The Mangler, and that looks like an interesting movie. The yeah. Mangler uh, laundry machine thing. That's interesting from 1995. Obviously, he did body bags, night terrors, a whole bunch of other stuff. Very interesting. I'm just saying, oh, my goodness. I, I remember watching this movie, TV movie he did called I'm Dangerous Tonight. I'm going to open it right now. I believe that movie stars Machen Amick, who I used to have a crush on. Let me see if I'm completely wrong. Also, Salem's yes, Lot. I'm, I'm, sleep on Salem's Lot. He made that uh, TV miniseries, two-part movie series. So are you guys saying maybe he might be an underrated filmmaker for people who are not really well versed in that space, Bruce, you know what I'm saying? Within that. That's hard to say. Cause um, the people like the horror fans, he's not underrated at all. He's pretty well regarded. Uh, but then like, if you go outside of horror, right. technically everything in horror is underrated. Um, but it's, true. yeah, I, I, I would say he's pretty well regarded within the horror genre. Therefore it's hard to say that he's underrated, but uh Hmm. Yeah, I mean, he he did like most of the stuff he's done. Do you I think people him, outside? I'm seeing the gin. I need to watch that. Yeah, that was like think... that was like one of my most anticipated, and then it just never came out. Not the not the gin that we covered, but the, he came, yeah, it, yeah. Toby Hooper's the gin, or was it gin? I can't remember. But anyway, that was like my most anticipated uh, when it was supposed to come out, and then it just never came out. And then I just kind of forgot about it, and it kind of did whatever. And then and then he died. And then I think it probably came out shortly after that or something. I, I don't remember, but I saw it's yeah. available now. So I'll have to go check that one out. Okay, cool. So that is Life Force, directed by Toby Hooper, recommended by Bruce Perky. I didn't even check where it's, where it's playing on Just Watch, but I'm sure. How, how did you see it, Bruce? You saw it on, on YouTube? Uh, it's got AMC Plus, Shutter, oh, yeah, my bad. Pluto TV. Yeah, it's got a plus bunch of places. You, you can find I, this easily. Because I remember several years ago, I think Shout Factory released a, a Life Force on Blu-ray, and that would have been cool. I think that there's like a director's cut or maybe an extended cut for 116 minutes or something for Life Force. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I, it looks like Life Force is an interesting movie to watch. Yes, sir. The, the, this is one of those movies like if, if uh, this would be like top shelf Shout Factory type kind of release. Like okay. a, if you're into those type of movies, this is like the upper tier of that. Oh, very cool. Okay. Life Force. Hot, strong recommends from Eric and Bruce. And now we are going to Bruce's, the final film we're covering this week is a What's in the Box from Bruce Perky. But before we do that, we're going to have a musical interlude. But before we have the musical interlude, I just want to really talk about middle film, middle class film class. Last week, I think it was last week or maybe a couple of weeks ago, we all three of us, we reviewed the movie The Card Counter. I really love this movie so much, but it's what's interesting about that is I listened to middle class film classes field trip, which Bruce, you've mentioned on our cinematics Facebook group that you want them to go more on these field trip things where they go see a movie and they report back and they really dive deep into the film, the card counter, what happened for the their September 11th episode, they talked about this Paul Schrader film. And then towards the end, they do a spoiler. So if you want to check out a really interesting take on the card counter, check out middle-class film class or new episode which posted actually today is an it's called an extra credit podcast episode of them going doing a deep dive of Kate, a movie we all love from Netflix and Malignant. So props to these guys. One of those guys, I guess that maybe the chairman of the board of middle class film class, Peter Beta, he does something for us every week. Eric, what does he do? Hey, Pete, why don't you come uh, close to the speakers? I see your feet. Now drop that beat. <laughs> Who's in the box? Oh, what's in the box? You lie. No. 
What's in the fucking box? <laughs> All right, Bruce. We're very good. Okay, Bruce, we're we're back. Bruce, what's in the box for you this week? Oh, it was Tough Turf, 1985, directed by Fritz Kirsch. I think I'm saying that correctly, hopefully. This was suggested by Brian O'Connell, who's also a great contributor to Cinematics page. Boy, oh boy, I didn't know what I was getting to on this movie. And <laughs> oh, by the way, this is this is we talked about things showing everywhere. Eric, where are all the places this is showing? <laughs> uh, you can watch it on various YouTube channels, probably about 14 of them or more, I think. <laughs> yeah, this is everywhere. I, yeah, that, I'm, I'm pretty sure that no one owns this movie because uh, <laughs> it's kind of like Night of the Living Dead. It just plays on everything. So the best way, I guess, to go to this movie is if you are a lover of those 80s teen movies, and this is one that you've never heard of for some reason, which I don't, I might've heard of it, but that was about it. Like I heard of the name, maybe this is one you need to get in your eyeballs and in your brain, because it will kind of blow your mind that this happened and you didn't know about it. I think this is quite a weird movie, a uh, tough turf. First of all, stars uh, James Spader as the main character, Morgan and uh, Frankie is his love interest who is involved with a leader of a gang in this tough turf, wherever it is, it looks like fast times Ridgemont high. It doesn't look very tough. And his kind of sidekick that he meets at the new school. Cause he's the new kid in school. That's another trope. That's in this one. Uh, he meets up with uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, uh, Jimmy. So maybe this is a prequel to less than zero. I don't know. Maybe. Very um, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, the basic idea is he's the new kid in town. He's had a troubled, you know, troubled time at his old school he comes from kind of a rich family but they're kind of down and out so he have to they have to move to the poor area of town supposedly it's the poor area of town and immediately the the, the local gang like kind of sets their sights on him because you know when he got there he immediately he had um, busted up one of their their scams to to rob this guy and he was in their sights as like somebody to be after and of course the gang leader's girlfriend is in James Spader's sights so, and then from there, it just goes on. And this is a really, uh, once again, I'll let Eric talk about this a lot too. This is a tonally, this is a crazy movie because at times it feels like it's just a kind of a version of all those teen movies, like Ferris Bueller's Day Off and all these kind of lighthearted teen movies, lots of singing and dancing and uh, extended song breaks. <clears throat> and in the middle of that, there's this like tough gang stuff, which is very cartoonish but surprisingly violent and surprisingly dark. This it, it, is an odd movie. I, I, I think you have fun with it in a camp way if you like that era and that type of movie. What do you think, Eric? Well, this is, well first of all, this is absolutely musical. Uh, there's no two ways around it. But yeah, it's, it's all over the place. It starts off like the Warriors, and then it kind of turns into Revenge of the Nerds, and then it kind of sort of becomes, an, or not Animal House, but like the, uh what's it what's like the preppy version of revenge of the nerds uh like like school ties maybe mm-hmm. and then yeah it's it just kind of and then you got robert downey jr basically playing styles but he's not a dickhead he's like a good friend <laughs> and this is kind of uh if i had to describe what this movie was about i would say it was very confusing to me and i have no idea what it's about <laughs> uh probably like the probably like lust versus love or something which i guess is kind of what life force is about it's it's it's, it's a cynical take on lust which this is kind of the well 
yeah, they did the they did the space vampire version of that, but let's do the Revenge of the Nerds Warriors School Ties version of that uh, uh, with uh, Tough Enough. Yeah, uh, this is uh, extremely eighties movies. The music is mostly awesome, especially when James Spader just says he's gonna get on the uh, uh, piano and start singing. I walk the. <laughs> Bruce, you mentioned on the Cinematics Facebook page about doing a uh, like a watch along or a or a oh, commentary. God, yeah. This absolutely needs to be the first commentary. Yeah, <laughs> like it, it, if, be... we're, if we're going to start doing that, this this needs to be the first one. There, there's this would be a... yeah, I, so, I, so much I can't, weirdness. I can't explain the story to you. I could, but it would just sound like a kid saying and then and then and then, and it wouldn't make any sense. But it kind of it's still kind of fun to watch and. The, this would be like a this would be crowd pleaser we talk you know about getting a bunch of friends having some beers and popcorn this is like that movie and i'm also kind of surprised i've never heard of it until just now or you know last week and the director is fritz kirsch like bruce said his movies his first movie in 1984 his debut was the 1984 film children of the corn a year later he directed the aforementioned tough turf other movies include Winner Take All, Gore, G-O-R. I remember this movie, Gore. I, I've never yes. seen Gore. I, you've seen it, Bruce? And then he's also It was done... like a Conan ripoff, kind of, I think, okay. if I remember correctly. Okay. I'm fucking watching that. Put that in the box. Yeah, G- <laughs> G-O-R, Gore. That sounds like a movie that I'm, I'm really into watching. And also in 1991, he, in, he directed this Michael... How do you pronounce it? Perret, right? Michael Perret film, Anthony Michael Hall film called Into the Sun. It's a... It's like a yeah. They, I believe they play. Know about yeah, that one. they play pilots, dude. So into it's, the sun. It sounds like this guy <laughs> like keeps making all my favorite movies that I've never even heard of. So, anyways, yeah, maybe this guy. We were talking about filmmakers who mentioned Toby Hooper, and then now this guy Fritz Kirsch. This guy is forgotten, but you know what? Maybe he shouldn't be forgotten. Maybe he's made some really interesting movies, Bruce. If you don't like camp, you're not going to recommend Tough Turf, but you recommend it for people who want a guilty pleasure campy time, correct? Or, yes, or people who like, really like those 80s, very 80s, like teen movies, and have never heard of this movie, they need to see this movie too. Because okay, if you've seen all those other ones, like you talked about, like Fast Times or Suburbia or like all these weird movies that were like very, very rooted in that 80s teen life. This is one you should have caught too. Tough, tough, turf, tough turf is like a 10 speed of 80s movies. Okay, nice. 10 <laughs> speed. We love that. Using that 10 speed reference for, for the 80s. And by the way, Suburbia is a classic. Thank you, Bruce, for mentioning that film that is your what's in the box pick thank you brian o'connell once again for your chosen pick and again brian o'connell let me remind listeners his favorite movie of all time is seven samurai from akira kurosawa so i'm assuming eric holmes this is not as good tough turf is not as good as seven samurai i know it's apples and oranges but you gotta try them i mean i don't think Seven Samurai is as good as Tough Turf. <laughs> Unbelievable. I'm gonna, that is the clip of the week. Clickbait. Hashtag clickbait. Going to use that and watch our listenership dwindle down to, to an integer level. Seven Samurai. <laughs> Very you good. need to see Fritz Kirsch's Seven Samurai. That would be so amazing. Okay. Tough Turf. That is it. <laughs> that would be amazing. Okay. So, Bruce. What's in the box? What's in the bleeping box? Oh no, yet I don't know. I got my little slips of paper. Bruce, I got to open up. Look in the box. Tell us what's in okay. it, Bruce. <laughs> well, it's by suggested by Jeff Basson. Oh, we love Jeff. 
Jeff Bassett, who joined us months ago for a Days of Heaven discussion with Malik. That was really cool. That was a nice thank you, Jeff. And he for suggested that. this. I think he might have suggested this when we were doing our talk with him. Okay. And I don't remember what this movie is, so I'm gonna have to look it up. Tropical Malady. What the heck is that? Tropical Malady. Okay. Well, that is an interesting Jeff Basson. He is a huge cinephile, so I'm gonna have to look at this up right now on <laughs> I know, IMDb. Like, do I even have it right? That's it's a new melody from Eric Holmes, Tropical Malady from 2004. Uh, yeah. Trying to get my uh, Neil Diamond on. Uh, very good. Very, very good. We're going to be sued like like left and right on this one. Anyways, that is Tropical Malady. Yes, it, this movie does exist, Bruce. It sounds really interesting. So I'm sure it's playing. That received seven awards, eight nominations. So, all right, Bruce. <laughs> okay. You're going you're gonna, to, Bruce is going to track that down. Listeners, if you want to actually request some movies for Bruce to watch and and, and uh, choices that he can drop in the, his What's in the Box box, Email him at bruceperky at gmail.com or contact him via his YouTube channel, Rusto Meyer. I want Bruce Perky to upload and do more content on his wonderful channel, Bruce Perky. You should be doing that. Not, not like you have time to do it, but yes, Eric Holmes. Uh, I, I, Greg, before we, because we're wrapping up, but I did want to ask you something. Oh, what was that? Uh, what was that? It, that Star Wars, The Force. And there's five of them. Oh, what was that? Force five. Oh, Force five. Thank you, Eric Holmes. But, but okay, let's listeners before we go. Eric Holmes is actually our hype man for Find Your Film podcast. He's very good at boop, boop. very yeah. Very, he's, he's a hype man. He he knows how to plug things. And unfortunately, I don't know how to plug things. But I was recently on maybe about a week ago on the Force Five podcast. I discussed my ultimate uh, five underrated films with Jason over over at force uh, for the force five podcast i believe and it's a really cool podcast and I, thank you so much for that mention eric holmes did you guys were you guys able to listen to a little bit uh, how I, uh, I how i sounded i did you sounded great and the you guys had some really good picks in there and there was a couple of them that i was like just haven't even heard of uh there was a, an early one one early on that you did i can't remember the name of it and i looked it up and i could not find it anywhere Oh, and I was going to ask you about it, but I can't remember the name of it. So, okay, yeah, and you know, I, I, I will. Uh, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just listen to Force Five, that Force Five episode again. I'll listen and to then, it again. Uh, I'll get to rate and review that. it while I'm there. Oh yes, I know what that movie is. Yes, yes, Eric Holmes. That movie is the Robert Downey Jr. film Restoration. That's that movie's hard to find. It's it's you can actually get that on DVD. Was that the movie you were thinking? No, about? no, it oh, was. Okay. I, I think it was like one of the first, or uh, I think it was. Oh, I can't remember. My okay, brain no sucks so bad. I, I think either you or him. Was it the it Robert up. Forrester movie? Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. One. Which, which one was that? I can remember. I know it was hard to find. I look for it too. Oh, very that good. Robert Maybe Forrester should, movie he mentioned. Yeah. We should reach out to Jason to see how we can find that Robert, that aforementioned Robert Forrester film. I forget. I forget the, the title as well, because you know what? It's all about, all about his line, his line, my line, my line, my line. When Jason Kleberg was talking, I, I apologize, Jason. I was not <laughs> listening to you one bit. I was just waiting to talk. You know what? When I'm on those other podcasts, I'm, I'm not like this on, on find your film, find your film. I have to be a little bit more. Yeah. Like a little like this. But when I'm, when I, when I was on the force five, I was, Yes, Jason, my favorite Ridley Scott film is Kingdom of Heaven, director's cut. What a wonderful film. It's a very underrated film. And uh, so, yeah, He's so like, yeah but, but you have to be on your toes. <laughs> you have to be on your toes here to make sure that we don't like cross any copyright lines, like make sure I don't go. And then you would know to mark that down and 
take it out of the podcast so we don't get thank you thank you so much eric just for that i'm gonna have to go back to my mellifluous correctors of osti voice on my force five podcast because this is my contemplative voice and my and also my mad voice at eric for doing a top 40 list all throughout this podcast and i'm gonna have to edit now after we stop this recording (laughs) love you you, eric you can leave most of it in yeah of course of course of course Eric Holmes, Bruce Perky. Well, Eric Holmes, before we go, any any uh, final thoughts on? Oh, yes, you know I what? love the poster behind Bruce, right yeah. next to the malignant one. What 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 is that? It, it looks real familiar. Yeah. Lose the flower. Lose the flower. Oh, lose the flower. Oh, oh, oh lose. Uh, Bruce Perky. Like, hold on. What oh, what is that? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Where's lose? Lose the flower. Uh, we all love lose. Wait, where's my lose? The oh, did I forget to give you my ad- my address, Eric? Holmes? No, it should it should be on the way there somewhere. Oh, thank you so much. I, it should be popping up any day, if not today. Lose the flower right now. Go check. Go check. Lose, yeah, lose the flower of evil, directed by who? Eric Holmes. Juan Diego Escobar Alzate. Very good. Mr. Alzate is a, a fine filmmaker. We on a, on a previous podcast, we had him on for the entire episode and he talks in depth about lose the flower of evil. Really wonderful film. I like, I actually like Bruce's response to lose the flower of evil during the interview where he, where he talked to Alzate saying that he actually was able to appreciate the movie upon a second viewing. Eric, do you agree with this? Like this is a movie that gets you once, but then maybe you need to watch it again to really, because you've seen it several times at least. Yeah, yeah, really it, yeah, it's pretty dense. And then you break it down to me. It's like I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and by the way, <laughs> I think you want... you're taking too much out of this. <laughs> but by the way, I mean that, that that's a cool thing about movies like this when like uh, when you got kind of the passion uh, that he does for filmmaking. I you know kind of you can't help but add more to it. You know it can't help but be more than the sum of its parts. I guess. And yes, and in that in Flower it... Vivo is a great example of that. And if you listen to our interview, Eric gets Eric Holmes gets very scholarly, and he's reading into a lot of things that maybe the director did not put in himself consciously. But in fairness to Eric's actually in really in interesting interpretations, a movie like Lose the Flower of Evil demands so many different looks and and you know just looks at that movie. It's a very in- intense movie, and sometimes maybe the filmmaker he or she making the film maybe they don't consciously put that in but maybe years later the subconscious surfaces and they realize hey that question that eric holmes asked me several years ago about this he was right who knows oh i know i'm right oh (laughs) you know i'm currently writing a book about it (laughs) oh yeah eric holmes currently the 800 page version of lose the flower of evil an interpretation by eric holmes will be coming out in conjunction with his upcoming film which is uh will be coming out down the road and that's those are the Yes, sir. Oh, I got, about your, I got uh, your news film. about that. I got news about that. I your should movie, yeah. save that. I should probably You're save that for next week. But I, 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 I'll, I'll tease. If anyone's living in the Colorado area and they want to be in a uh, teaser trailer, then hit me up. Okay. Anyone? Okay. Hit up. Hit up Eric Holmes and Bruce and I have, have read Eric Holmes' we, screenplay. We both really enjoyed and, it. Very. And if, and if you're not, uh, if you're not busy on October 9th and you're in the Colorado area. Hit up, hit up. That's not even a tease. It's just telling you what I'm. I'm shooting the teaser trailer on October 9th. Okay, uh, up past Woodland Park, but more, more to come on that. Okay, more to come on that. Eric Holmes, email him at hamslime at gmail.com. Get into yeah. his universe. Very interesting. Or just slide uh, into my DMs. That's cool. Slide too. into his DMs. Bruce and I don't know. What does that mean, Bruce? We're both old. What does that mean? Is that an Instagram reference about emailing people? 
Have my you dirty maintenance. I'll, slide into my dirty maintenance. I'll tell you when I call you tonight. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Very funny with the dry humor. Bruce Berkey, as always, per wit, uh, yes. to wit, you're ending the show with a uh, witticism. I have, I have some final things to tell you and Eric, but there is a caveat. First of all, what I have to tell you both is don't cross the copyright streams. And now that I've said that, Eric, take it away. I don't even know what the lyrics are. I just kind of make them up. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, the cut you heard was Eric Holmes doing his wonderful and dramatic rendition of I Walk the Night. If you haven't heard the song, please listen to it sooner than later. We will see you next week. And by then, do your homework. Watch Tough Turf.